Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to South Beach Sessions. And it is a special South Beach Sessions because we're going to be using this for a while to make announcements for Metal Arc Media of our friends and colleagues, people we respect and admire, because the goal of Metal Arc Media is going to be working with people you love, you care about, and you want to create with. And so I'm very happy to announce right here and right now that after many years of being rebuffed and fighting through security, our friend Adnan Verk is jumping on the pirate ship. He's a member officially of Metal Arc Media. What? I mean, listen, after this many years of infiltrating and breaking through security, I, I cannot believe that I'm now a member of this team. But Dan, I credit you because you realize that your burrish behavior could not be stopped in the face of the Adnan army. And when it comes to Roy and to Chris and Mike Ryan and Stu and Billy, they all believed in me. You didn't, you sad sack. So thanks to all the rest of you for realizing that America, and quite frankly, Canada has now spoken as I'm aboard this pirate ship of greatness. Thank you all. We did it. So thank you. All right, you guys can stay, and I will do this South Beach session with you here. But you're also allowed to leave whenever you want to drop out. That's fine as well. Whenever. Admin right, Ver- uh, that, that, that was a that, that was a, the Irish goodbye from Chris Cody. He could not have left sooner. Mike Ryan has departed. Okay. Roy could not get out quicker. Wow. Okay. Yes. Everyone yeah, got out of there quickly and now left us to our own devices. But we are excited about Adnan Verk being with us because if you do not know Adnan, if you do not know his story, he is an exceedingly kind and decent man. And Boog Shambi told me a long time ago, Boog Shambi told me, you'll be stunned by how much range this dude has. And I guess it was something that Boog Shambi was seeing, but for whatever reason, Adnan wasn't able to fully blossom. I don't know if it's the rigidities of television, ESPN. You're clearly very good at what you do, but I feel like we've only seen a small, small part of your personality on ESPN television. We may see more of it now. Yeah, I appreciate that, Dan. First off, uh, all kidding aside, it's great to be with you. I have such respect for you and admiration for you. And, you know, if there's one word I use to describe you when people say, what's the deal with Levitar? Why do you like Dan so much? It's one word. Can you guess the word? I don't know what the word would be. The word is fearless. And in a atmosphere and in a life where so many of us are skittish and scared of stepping on the wrong banana peel and breaking those eggshells and upsetting somebody, what I treasure most about our friendship, what I like most about you, what I respect is your fearlessness. And it actually emboldens everyone. So for example, a guy like me, as you said, is used to the confines of television and this is how we do things and point a point b bump here let's not show too much humor we don't want to upset the wrong sponsors people when i come to your show what you do is you allow everyone to have freedom and to be completely unbridled and i'm so appreciative that boog said those words i have great admiration for boog he's a wonderful friend and a huge talent and i often feel like his relationship with us 
is very much, in terms of mafia terms, he's Pacino as Lefty Ruggiero, and I'm Donnie Brasco, and he's introducing me to Sonny Black. You are Sonny Black saying, listen, this is a friend of mine, this is a friend of ours, you're going to like him, he's a good guy. Once he vouched for him, you're like, okay, I'll give this kid a chance. But uh, there's certainly something to be said for within corporate America, you can feel shackled. And I'm so grateful to you that now I get to be unshackled and to be unfettered and do whatever it is that you and I are going to do together. Well, this is what I'm excited about, though, Adnan, because Boog Shambi has an eye for talent. And Boog Shambi, who has sculpted his craft, and I'm so happy for him now that he's lead broadcaster for the Cubs and deserves it. And that baseball town and that baseball management know how good he is at his job and value it. He has only said of two people in our entire life running through these circles hey you've got to get to know this person because this person has the kind of personality you would want to know it's Ian Eagle because he's got stand up comedy chops and it's you Adnan but I didn't feel I felt like you were affable as hell on television polished as hell I enjoyed watching you I enjoyed how graceful you were gliding through something like Baseball Tonight which is a very difficult show to do and you would glide through it because you're so professional but I never felt like I got to know you on television in any meaningful way. No, and that's why I'm so glad the way I was introduced to your show. If you'll recall, we literally got <laughs> Mike Ryan calls because you have a couple minutes to come on, and it was some inane baseball topic we were doing. And as I was on the show, unbeknownst to me, Mike Ryan, always so clever, fades down what I'm saying, and all of a sudden I'm gone, and you guys are laughing hysterically. Okay, we shut Virk up, and I would pop back up and keep going and then go back down again. We did it three times that show, and to your credit, when you texted me after, go, hey, listen, thanks for getting the gag. Like, you don't know how many people we would do this to, and they would be offended. They would be upset and go, how dare you? I take umbrage with this type of action. I have opinions and things to say. That. And I'm like, Dan, I'm so grateful. A, you know who I am. B, I get to be a part of the gag. Make fun of me. All good. And this became, by the way, my calling card. I worked at ESPN almost nine years. And the number one thing people say to me now, I work at MLB Network and NHL Network and DAZN and the podcast. And they go, hey, I love when you go on Levitard. I go, wait, you mean the 10 seconds that I talk? And then they'd shut me up. They go, that was such great comedy. But to your point, it's about understanding the role. And I think too often people say to themselves, they take themselves too seriously. They feel like they've got this bluster about them. As you know, these gas bags around us. And if I have a quality, and I appreciate all those compliments you gave me, I think it's that I know not to take myself too seriously. And I just appreciate being a member of the club. We're thrilled that you are, and we're going to make cool shit with Adnan along the way because one of the things we want to do at Metal Arc Media, it's very something that's very important to me, is to make sure that the next five or ten years of creative rebirth for some of these people that we're with, that they're doing the best and freest and most confident work of their career. And I can't wait for all of you to see what I believe are only glimpses that we've seen so far, unless you're watching him with MLB and DAZN, where he has really blossomed into being being, I believe, his truest self, but we're going to have his movie podcast with us. And just tell people, Adnan, what it is, because I want them to support the things you're about, the things that we're about, because I also believe, I want to get into your biography and your love of movies, but I believe you're criminally underrated in terms of just knowing what you're talking about when it comes to film. Well, that's so kind of you to say, Dan. It's, it's funny. Of all the things I've done in my career, 
working at ESPN or MLB Network or DAZN or uh, the GM Shuffle, my NFL pod, Cinephile may be the one that I take the most pride in. And you hear that expression often, a labor of love, but there's no laboring here. It's all love. And I laugh because my dear friend Ben Lyons does a great job on ESPN, loves your show. You know, his dad's a film critic. Jeffrey Lyons, a very well-known film critic in New York. Ben Mankwitz, who I love watching on Turner Classic Movies. Well, yeah, the movie Mank, that's right. That's about Joseph L. Mankwitz, a co-wrote Citizen Kane. That's Ben's uncle. There are no verks in Hollywood. There is no lineage of movies. My father is not a producer. My mom is not a glorious actress. I'm just a, a guy drunk on movie love. And it all stems from my mom being a fan of, of old movies. And she would say to me, let's watch a movie with no violence or swearing or nudity. And I'd say, mom, that kind of limits choices. But I'll go to the library and my dad's a voracious reader. He's not a big movie guy, but voracious reader. And I'd go to the library. And back in the day, you remember these days, you could go to the library and for 10 cents or 50 cents, you can go rent Citizen Kane and Fellini's Eight and a Half. And you can watch an Ingmar Bergman movie. And I'd say, okay, let me learn about these movies. Let me teach myself. And took a couple film courses in college. Billy Nobles was a great teacher, very passionate. He once was talking about great tracking shots in history. And he was talking about the Goodfellas, Copa shot, very famously, of course, where Henry Hill and Karen go in the club. And I said, well, what about Touch of Evil? And he said, what'd you just say? I said, what about Touch of Evil? Famously, Charlton Heston playing a Mexican, uh, the, one of the last films that Orson Welles directed. And he goes, how did you see that? And I said, I don't know. I just, I just watch these movies, man. Like, I think what happens, it's much like sports. If you're a fan of baseball and you love watching Mike Trout, you say, well, somebody reminds him of Mickey Mantle. Who's Mickey Mantle? Let me read a biography about Mickey Mantle. Let me look up some plays about Mickey Mantle. Let me learn about other center fielders like Willie Mays. Similarly with film, as you know, one goes to the other. So you say, hmm, I kind of like these Humphrey Bogart movies. Well, maybe I probably like James Cagney movies as well. Okay, I'll watch three of those. And I'd always use the rule of threes. Watch three films of Stanley Kubrick. Watch three Sidney Lumet movies, watch three Gene Hackman movies, and go from there to find your interest, but be as broad as possible. You and I both know, people subscribe to this Malcolm Gladwell rule of 10,000 hours. Find what you want in life, do it for 10,000 hours, and you'll be an expert at it. The Beatles did it, Bill Gates did it, and that's your path to success. But I think you would agree with me on this. David Epstein wrote a great book called Range, and that book actually argues you shouldn't be so narrow-minded. The more broad your interests are, the more interesting you'll be as a person and the more successful you'll be as a person. So it's one thing to say, oh, I like action movies. Our man Stugatz, his favorite movie is Tango and Cash. That's wonderful. But I think it's more interesting to say, oh, I like to watch all movies. Well, what's your favorite genre? I don't really have one. I, I could talk to you about horror movies or comedies or dramas or Oscar bait. And I think that that passion has been fueled. So I'm so grateful to have Cinephile, which literally, Dan, is an excuse for me to bloviate. And I don't have to bore my friends or my family members by telling them about Sound of Metal. You and I can have text messages about it. And then I can go on this podcast and just run free with my observations and passions. And I've been so grateful to have great guests over the years, whether it's Robert De Niro or Margot Robbie or Mahershala Ali or Barry Jenkins. And I think what the guests recognize, and you know this with your show, the key is that you have to be as passionate as they are. And when I'm talking to them, they realize, A, this sounds simplistic, but he watched my movie, and B, he has insight into it. He's analytical about it. He's passionate. He has genuine questions. So I encourage people to listen to Cinephile. It's not as highbrow as I'm making it sound. I promise we talk about all types of movies, but it's certainly a work of passion, and I, I hope people come along for the ride. I want to talk to you about your love of film because I feel like your passion for film is larger than it is even for tennis and Federer, even for sports. Billy Gill is late arriving to the <laughs> Zoom. He missed the initial celebration, but he can learn right now uh, with 
<laughs> Adnan Verk is now a member of Metal Ark Media. Uh, you you can convey uh, your happiness and your celebration. You're a little bit late to the party, though. That's nice. What do, what do you think he means by that? <laughs> I know, Billy. You're a little you're a little um, put off by this because you're used to Dan behaving as such a jerk towards me. But I'm I'm now part of the team. Like I'm a part of the family here. Cinephile will be on the Levitard and Friends podcast. I will be on the show. I will not have to breach security. Our friendship will now be not only off camera but also on camera. So this is incredible news. Uh. <laughs> All right, Billy. I liked thank it you. more when you snuck your way in. All right, good Billy, talk. Billy, you raise an interesting point. In terms of wrestling <laughs> terms, do people prefer me as a heel or a babyface? You think I'm better posited as a villain, as a guy in Tangiers who is literally saving James Bond? Yeah, I mean, but now it's one of those things like you like it when you can't have it, but then when you can have it, it's like, did I really want this? Okay, this didn't go the way I wanted it to in terms of celebration and enthusiasm. Billy, <laughs> thank you for joining us. Uh, that's your new teammate. That's what you have I, to Billy. deal with, Adnan. I don't know if you want me to take that complaint to human resources, but just get used to a general lack of enthusiasm to having you around that Billy will convey at various points. Thank you, Billy. Appreciate all your time here. Billy's an anti-establishment kind of guy, Dan. He doesn't like people when they become a part of the establishment. I can respect his underdog mentality. He wasn't going to go with these damn lackeys at the beginning who pretended to love Adnan Verk and celebrated his arrival with fireworks. No, sir. He was going to go the other way. So thank you, Billy, for being on with us. But Adnan, getting back to your love of of (laughs) movies, what do you like better? You have to pick. If I make you pick, sports movies Federer <laughs> this is like Sophie's choice okay I'm choosing between children right now I want to go with Federer because that will really help our audience but it, listen I love sports uh, if you want my honest answer because you are a dogged interviewer I know you will not allow me to duck a question Kirchner warned me years ago it would be movies and, and I'll tell you why because it really was my first love when I went to college at Ryerson which was a radio and television arts program being the son of immigrants, you're Cuban immigrants, mine are Pakistani immigrants. Our parents are not going to let us <laughs> go to film school. What the hell is that? I'm not going to pay $10,000 for you to go watch movies. Like, what? You can learn about Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin? Like, get out of here. So I figured a smart way to subvert it was this. I would tell my parents, I'm going to school for broadcasting. There's this allure of being on TV. Oh, my son can be a news journalist. Oh, he can be on 60 Minutes one day. Yeah, sure, Dad. Sounds good. And I thought I would cleverly navigate the system. Robert Altman, a great filmmaker, as you know, he actually started in television. I said, okay, I'll do what Altman did. I'll be a TV director. Then I'll segue to movies. My parents will still foot the bill for a year or two of tuition before they recognize what I'm up to. And I'll, I'll make the transition. But what happened, Dan, a cruel thing, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. It wasn't very good. (laughs) Second year film course directing. I made a short film and it was terrible. And I'll never forget the moment I sat in class, a Malcolm X hat tucked down low, and I just wanted to crawl into the biggest hole possible. And Billy Nobles, the aforementioned teacher, was like, it's okay, Verk. Like, it wasn't good, but here's how you can improve it. And I said, no, no, no. And it's a great lesson for all of us. When someone meets you, some young street urchin says, Mr. Levitard, I want to be like you one day. The question you have to ask them is, what are you good at? Too often people say, well, I want to be this. And you say, okay, you want to be a ballet dancer. But do you actually have balletic grace and 
and dexterity? No, that's probably not a good idea. And I realized in that moment, as you've seen by this interview, I'm verbal. I talk a lot. I don't have a visual sense. To be a filmmaker, you have to have a visual sense. You have to look at our conversation. Okay, Dan, go here, Verk here. I'm going to frame it this way, over the shoulder. Then we'll go with the wide shot. That's what a filmmaker does, and I don't see it that way. And I realized in that moment, hey, you know what? I'm better suited to something with words. Maybe I could be a film critic. Okay, let's try to be a film critic. Well, that doesn't appear to be taking off. How does one be a film critic? Do you just write reviews and send them to major newspapers and hope that they hire you? What are the credentials for one to be a film critic beyond just watching a lot of movies and reading books about movies and talking about movies? I said, what about screenwriting? But again, all of my ideas were derivative. I didn't have my own original ideas. I kept trying to mimic other films that I loved. So I realized in that moment, okay, this passion for movies may not go in the direction you want, but you do love sports. Let's go with that sports angle. You can be a sports caster. You're passionate about, like you said, baseball and tennis and all the rest of it, and things will work out. And it's funny how the two loves have dovetailed. That The love of sports was always there. And sports casting has been a great, stable home. It's provided for me and my family. I love live television. I love being on television, as narcissistic as that may sound. But the movies has been able to be there as well. And maybe, maybe with Metal Ark, we can resuscitate Siskel and Ebert. Maybe it's me and David Sampson or me and Amin El Hassan having a television show or debating movies. I mean, who, who knows where this thing could lead? Don't tell people. We will figure all that out in time. But the idea is to collect as many people who are following their heart and their true passions, putting them together and believing that the chemistry and the passion of that will birth great content. I know how much Adnan Verk knows about this. I have. Uh, I don't know if I can call your film knowledge encyclopedic because we don't use encyclopedias anymore and we don't even have to learn really. We just have to find things as Pat Sajak says. But I don't know a lot of people who know more about film than you do, about all of it. I'm not just talking about opinions or how something is crafted. I'm talking about history. I'm talking about genre. I'm talking about every aspect of film, noticing sound, noticing just the details. Yeah. And I think that's an important part of it, Dan. People say to me, so do you just watch movies all day? Like, is, is that the thing? You just watch three movies a day? And I said, well, no. Like if it's funny, I'll meet, I would meet people years ago. They'd say, oh, I love movies. What'd you think of Booty Call? And I'm like, no, no, I, I'm not really diving in to the mise-en-scene of Booty Call. I mean, it, I'm sure it's amusing at its own level. I'm sure Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up, but that's not really what I'm into. And to your point, it's not just watching the movie. It's watching with a critical eye. It's being analytical. Back in the day when people still watch DVDs, we'd have Criterion films would have director's commentary, which was gold. It was gold. Imagine if you were a Barry Bonds fan and you could watch the 2002 World Series and then you could listen to Barry Bonds comments on the entire game, every single thing that was happening. That's what director commentary is. So I can watch Boogie Nights and then I can listen to Paul Thomas Anderson describe the opening tracking shot and where his influences are and what he was trying to do and what Julianne Moore was saying this day on set. And so the director's commentary was invaluable, but a large part of it is reading. And you as a guy who makes his living talking every day, you've got to be well-read. I always think there's a big gap between people who actually read books or read magazines or periodicals, as we used to call them, and people who just watch things and don't actually have any sort of nuance or grip on it. It's like going one inch of water in terms of depth. So I tell people, watch the movie, read a couple of reviews about the movie, go online and read about it, and then look for other influences. And God forbid, read a history of film book, read about how A Clockwork Orange first came to be. Find out, you know, where these directors lay, and that's always the key. A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that hasn't? The great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you, I don't know. 
You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall, I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12 ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16 ounce cans. They usually come in a four packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler, you put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Before we go any more into the conversations about his love of movies and why you should listen to what he's doing at first with us at Metal Arc Media, I want to talk to you about your upbringing. I want to talk to you about small town living. So you grew up how? I was born in Toronto, which, as you know, is a major city. But then I grew up as a small kid. I was six years old. We moved to a small town called Kingston, which is about 100,000 population. Six to 11 lived in a couple of different houses and then moved to Morven, Ontario. M-O-R-V-E-N, population 500. So ages 11 to 17, which for many are their formative years, I was in this locale of 500. It's me and my brother. We're the only brown kids for miles upon miles. Uh, We're owning and operating a convenience store and a gas station. My dad worked for OHIP, which is the Ontario uh, Health Government, and he was a a computer programmer for many years. Uh, My mom was working for a time, but then, you know, stopped working to raise me and my brother. And so it's like a family-owned operation. It's, It's as you picture it, a convenience store, and then we lived on top of the convenience store, and there was a gas station. And we're living in eastern Ontario, and we're shoveling the snow together. We're pumping gas together. When I told my dad about all my jobs that I do now, he said, I still remember you at 12 years old scooping the ice cream out and just doing it with such glee and such relish. And my mom remembers when I worked at McDonald's when I was 15. She goes, you know, I had the twin feeling of seeing you wiping the windows. One, I was proud of you, and one, I felt sorry for you. I said, what a terrible, menial job you're doing. So it's funny, when one achieves any measure, any modicum of success, it's natural to look back at one's life. And it was truly, Dan, small town living in every aspect you can think of. How did your family get there, though? How did they get here? Yeah. So my parents emigrated from Pakistan in 1972. And uh, they settled in Toronto, as I mentioned, where a lot of Pakistani and South Asian immigrants were settling at that time. I lived there for, as I said, a few years, about 10 years or so, and then 84, excuse me, 12 years, and then moved to Kingston. My dad was working for this uh, government company called OHIP. He got a transfer there to Kingston. We moved there, and then after a few years, he comes up with the idea, hey, you know what? In addition to this nine-to-five job, what if I buy a business? It's in many ways the immigrant dream, which you can appreciate. Let me get a piece of this thing. Let me own and operate it, and I'll do the labor. And I look back, I mean, you and I, we have such gifted jobs. You have such a wonderful, blessed life. My dad was working all the time. He'd work 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. at OHIP. He'd come home. He'd then work in the store from 5 until 10, come upstairs, bite to eat. It's been fun. That's Monday to Friday. Like That's just grinding out 70-hour weeks, and there's no complaining about it. What would I complain about? This is a great job. This is a great life we have here. Canada is a wonderful country that I can do these things that I couldn't do this in other countries. And my mom was always working. Same thing. She's manning the store from 9 to 5. Well, my dad's at work, then she comes home. She's going to cook. She's going to do laundry. She's going to do everything else for us. So it's been an amazing voyage. And, and I know how close you are with your family, how proud you are of your Cuban immigrant roots. I feel the same way, man. Whenever somebody asks me, how did you grow up? I'd say, in many ways, it is that classic immigrant tale, hard work, luck meets opportunity, and we're all the grateful for it. 
and they weren't supportive at all, probably, of your career choice, right? Like, I mean, what you're you're a failure, right? I mean, the, that that was no good. I don't even I can't even imagine what that conversation was like. Oh, anybody with a South Asian background, you know, Indian, Pakistani, Sri Lankan, Bangladeshi, you have three options. It is lawyer, doctor, engineer. Just pick one, and we'll make it work. And when you say broadcasting, what the hell does that mean? And I, I remember early on telling family members I was going to school for radio and television arts, and they literally thought I was going to be repairing televisions. Like, okay, that's an interesting trade. You mean you can always repair television? No, no, no. I'm going to be in television. What do you mean? You're, you're actually in the box. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like the movie Seven. What's in the box? What's in the box? I will be in that box one day. We'll see. We hope. It's just such an unusual profession. Like I said, there's there was no roadmap to this, which I think makes it all the more fruitful because no one's giving an in. No one's saying, oh, I've got a hookup. I've got a connection. You're just doing it through uh, your own will and through your own personality and obviously a lot of luck. But it's crazy, though, Adnan. So let's take me through it. Take me through what happened. You go to your parents, and how long before they're in on this? Because an, an immigrant child rebelling against his parents who come from a culture of structure where they built this life for you with these freedoms so you would become a proper professional person who was a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer. Like, right. do something with this freedom. And you're like, you know what? I just want to watch Pacino. Shout. <laughs> Because she's got a great ass in heat. That's what I want to do with my life. Dad, the lawyer thing is great, but honestly, let's watch Heat together. I mean, when De Niro and Pacino are in the coffee shop together, man, I think I was helped by the fact my brother's an engineer. So as you know, if, if the eldest takes the bullet, you go, okay, he is following the classic dream. He went to school in Kingston, uh, Queens University. He's a very prestigious university, majored in engineering. I think that gave me a little bit of latitude to go, you know what? I'm going to try something different. And I, I think, to their credit, my parents are so loving and supportive. They may have been a little bit uh, surprised, a raised eyebrow at first. Are you sure about this? But hey, if that's what you want to do, and, and I think that my dad always probably had the private dream that I would be a lawyer on some level, because he goes, well, listen, you can talk. People who can talk, they can read. And I said, Dad, God, I don't know if I can. I mean, the lawyer business seems like a tough racket. Let me just try this other thing. So I think that they were willing to give me that opportunity. And if I failed miserably, if, as an abject failure, if I slunk home, they would have pivoted and said, okay, see, I told you so. Go take one of these other three jobs. Let's go. Have you analyzed at all your love of movies and where from within your childhood? I know you said that it was from your mother and your mother loved yeah. the movies, but is there anything deeper there in terms of a part of your childhood, especially if your dad was always working, where yeah. there was an escape in the movies because your parents were real busy surviving? It's a great point. I asked my brother one time because, you know, he visited me at ESPN and a few, everybody who met him kept saying, are you just like your brother? Do you watch a lot of movies? He said, listen, I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2 is my favorite movie, but no, I'm not like my brother. He's crazy about movies. He watches so many and he dissects them and thinks about them and he's, he's nuts. And somebody asked him once, so where did it come from? Like, why is he like that? And he said, you know, I think it's kind of what you touched on. We grew up in a rural area. He goes, you know, for six years of his life, 11 to 17, he's in a town of 500 people. Nobody looks like us. Nobody sounds like us. We're in the middle of nowhere. Mom and dad are working all the time. So I think there was a natural element to the love of escapism and saying, hey, you know what? Maybe my story is a little bit bland. Let me find other stories which are interesting. And, and as you know, the reason we love sports is that love of storytelling and emotion. And I think I found... I don't want to sound too analytical, but that, that, I don't want to say a void of emotion, but that, that, that escapism, I found it very readily available in sports. And that's what, excuse me, in movies. Uh, and that's what kind of led me to it was just that, um, that love of storytelling, I think, was, 
was there. Plus, again, we're in a store. So think about this. When, when the guy would come and deliver the VHS tapes, I would tell my dad, hey, can I request some of the movies? He's like, sure. So I would request Mean Streets. And it was hysterical. Like the d- developers, come like, who the hell is renting Mean Streets in 1996? Oh, well, my son wanted to watch this movie. Okay, cool. So it's also important. I had access to this treasure trove of movies. I could ask for whatever I wanted to. I think that was actually a very underrated part of it. What a great couple of things, though, there that allow you this access to your passions where you're sort of burrowing in and you're realizing, okay, wait a minute, director's cuts. Okay, you're going to give me all of film school here and I'm just going to find it here. Or you're at your father's job, which had to be a pretty thankless job at the store, and you're like, wait a minute, this gives me access to the, in this bumblefuck place where we live, they're going to just send me every movie that I want? Like, there's no way that that's possible. I know. It was amazing because I remember the look on the distributor's face like, who the hell wants to, like, what? I can't remember. La Strada? What the hell is this? I'm like, oh, it's this Fellini film. It's excellent. Uh, it's Giulietta Messina. It's Fellini's wife at the time. Like, who, the, who is this kid? Like, who are you how right old, now? How old were you? How old were you? when? And give me the most ridiculous example of, of the postman or whoever it is uh, happening upon a nine-year-old Pakistani kid who's, who's inexplicably the only brown thing for I don't know how many hundreds of miles and how old are you when this is arriving at your doorstep and what were you doing in the store well i do remember i was about 12 years old asking for bad lieutenant the Harvey Keitel film, which at the time was NC-17. For those who are unaware, that means R was far too tame a categorization for this film because it literally contained everything that you could not want a 12-year-old, much less a 22-year-old to <laughs> he watch. He was so bad. Keitel was such a bad lieutenant. There is no circumstance under which an American boy of any kind should be watching that movie at 12 years old. My brother and I are just cracking this in the VHS. Oh, Siskel and Ebert gave this a great review. Let's check out Bad Lieutenant. Like, it's unbelievable. It's a, I was an adult when I saw it, and I cringed and took a shower. You can't be watching that movie at 12 years old. This is what happens when you don't have too much parental supervision. When your parents are working all the time, you can find ways to get Bad Lieutenant right to your doorstep. I literally live on top of the store. It's getting delivered right to my house. Thank you very much. I look forward to seeing Harvey Keitel pull over a couple of teenage women. And the, Remember John Stewart did this great bit about Harvey Keitel crying in that movie. It was like... Ah! Just the anguish of an animal. That's what I remember from Bad Lieutenant. (laughs) Did you ever feel like, because there are a lot of outsider things here, and you're such a decent person, and you are glue. Your energy, your positive happiness is something that locks people together. But I wonder, along the path, how much did you feel like you were an outsider? Because some of that stuff sounds uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely moments that you say to yourself, Dan, like you you kind of pause, you literally call for a time, look around, go, okay, yeah, we're the only Muslim in the high school. Yeah, okay, just me and my brother, got that. We're the only sons of Pakistani immigrants. Yeah, okay, that's it. That's us too. Like, we're, there's no one that's like us. And as you know, one of the great things about Metalark, one of the, the great attributes of John Skipper is he praises diversity so much. And I loved in the interview in which you asked him, why is it important to you? Like, you're a white Southerner. What do you care? And as John said, I'm not a self-hater. I just think it's important for two reasons. One, it's good business. Quite frankly, you're just bringing more people into it. And two, it's more creative because you have different voices, different passions. And three, it's just a better product overall. And there were times, to your point, I would say, you know, this is cool and everything, I'm not facing any overt racism. I really wasn't. I was very lucky growing up in Canada. I said everyone's very friendly to me. Maybe there was things being said behind my back. But outwardly, as you said, maybe I was had a good enough personality that I was able to, to kind of 
you know, ease my way into any situation. But I did end up feeling like, you know what, it would be nice if I wasn't the only other at all times. I wish I didn't have to lie to my friends and they say, why don't you celebrate Christmas? I'm like, oh, I just, uh, we're, we're taking this Christmas off. We're just not going to do it this year. Because I, I think it's hard at that age when you don't have anybody else you can assimilate it, which is why it was helpful going to college in Toronto. I don't know about your experience, but I remember when people tell me high school is a good time, I said, listen, I enjoyed high school. For the record, on my yearbook, I was voted most likely to succeed. So clearly, I was a runaway success as a 16, 17-year-old. But I much preferred college because someone had said to me, in high school, there is that difficulty of fitting in. When you go to college, you're with more like-minded people. And my great friends there were not only of different backgrounds, but also shared my passion for movies and sports. And I found, when I went to Toronto, a great big multicultural city, that otherness started to fade a little bit. And so along this path, you get to ESPN how? What are the landmarks? Well, it's amazing. So I I'm, I'm go to school, as I mentioned. I intern at TSN, um, which is uh, the sports network, the ESPN equivalent, one might say. I work there behind the scenes. I graduate college. I think I'm going to be on TV. Well, this seems to make sense. The roadmap has been clear. And then I can't get a sniff. I go for a job in Kingston where I grew up. Sports job, uh, 32000 starting salary. Great. I can live with my parents. Don't get the job. I went for a TVO kids host, didn't get the job. I went for a weatherman job, didn't get the job. And I started to say to myself, well, this isn't going the way I thought it was. Everyone says when they meet me, oh, do you want to be on TV? I can see you have that requisite personality, but this isn't going well. And the rejections are piling up. And eventually my dad says, you know what? How about this? There's a job hiring at a place called Omni. And it's a multicultural station. There's a role there for you. Maybe. I go, I just saw this ad. You should apply for this job. I apply for the job. I don't get the job. He says, there's a show called Bollywood Boulevard. And I laugh at the guy named Stan Popolkas, who knows TSN. We have mutual friends. He's a sports guy. He goes, I said, listen, I know my family's South Asian, but I don't watch Bollywood movies. I mean, I know some of them. I, I know a couple of the names, but I don't actually know this. He goes, no, no, you'll be fine. He goes, we have a producer who's from India. We're going to set you up in a place to succeed. You'll be great. So I did this show called Bollywood Boulevard for a year and a half, which is a reminder to all, somehow things will work. A floor director there named Nick Ciccioni says to me, what's your deal? I said, what do you mean? He goes, every time I see you, you're watching sports in the hallway. He goes, you do this Bollywood stuff, and then you're up there watching sports. You're like a big sports guy? I said, yeah. He said, well, my cousin is running this station called The Score. They just started it. It's a 24-7 sports network. I'll put in a word for you. I said, oh, my God, it would be great. He puts in a word to his cousin. His cousin calls me. He goes, I saw your stuff. Eh. It's okay. He goes, you're all right. He goes, you could use a little seasoning. But Nikki raves about you. The Florida, he goes, my cousin raves about you. He says, you're a great dude. So let's Adnan, keep in touch. I bet, yeah. I bet at that time that you were probably trying to be whatever version of television you thought you were supposed to be, right? You weren't yeah. actually yourself. You were just somebody sort of impersonating what a TV anchor is supposed to be. You were faking it. I, I always think of this line with Stu Gatch, which I appreciate. He says that he only became great when he stopped impersonating Mad Dog Russo. Like he became better once he realized, oh, no, be me rather than try to be that. And thankfully, I did get better. Once I got more comfortable, Anthony gives me a job at the score. I worked there for six years. It's wonderful. Uh, it's a small uh, network, relatively speaking, but it is a national sports network. We're having a blast. Great friends I made there. And my boss, Anthony, says to me, you should try to go to the States. And I said, what? He goes, you should go to the States. He said, a guy like you, because you're young enough, you're not married yet. He goes, you have upside. You could do this. And I said, no, they wouldn't want someone like me. He goes, listen, I'm the boss of this company. I'm telling you, go do it. I said, are you trying to get rid of me? He said, no, but I recognize talent. Go do it. Go West, young man. So our news director, Dave Rutherford, I said, do you know how to get an agent? In Canada, we don't have agents. We're a backwards country. We don't know how to have agents. He goes, I'll get you an agent. 
He gives me the name of an agent. The agent says, no, thanks. He sees my stuff, goes, pass. But I'll give you another agent's name. Second agent goes, pass, not interested. But I'll give you another agent's name. I love how they just keep giving these referral system. Third agent says, I like you. Why don't you come to New York City? Let's have a handshake agreement. I'd love to represent you. Okay, now we're in 2009. He actually gave my tape, I believe, to MLB Network, which was a nascent organization at the time. They passed, no surprise. You see the continuing theme here in my story. <laughs> Jesus, <But> Adnan? <laughs> Where, where's the success in this story? But Laurie Orlando at ESPN says, hey, I like his tape. I'd like to meet him. I said, no problem. And you know this. You don't even hesitate. Get in the car. Me and my wife, my, my youngest son at the time was maybe eight months old. We drive down to Bristol, Connecticut. We stay in a budget hotel. I meet Laurie Orlando for 30 minutes. It's a wonderful conversation. I meet Dave Roberts, who's now running a lot of things at ESPN. I don't think he remembers meeting me, but I remember meeting him. I drive back. Laurie tells my agent, hey, if I had a, an opening, I'd hire him tomorrow. This is October of 08. I'd tell him, my friends, I'm going to work at ESPN. It's just a matter of time. November, December, January, February, March. David Amber's working at ESPN says they just hired two other guys, Max Bredos and Steve Weissman. And this is that key. Someone says, well, how do you get the job? There's a fine line between being pushy and being a pain in the ass. I thought she liked me. I thought this was a Sally Field moment. You like me. You really like me. And I would just keep following up with Lori. Hey, just want to check in. Here's my latest stuff. Not trying to be intrusive, not trying to be overbearing, not trying to be obnoxious. Eventually, it's New Year's Day, Dan, 2010. And I go, this is the last time I'm going to bother this woman. I just email her to say, hey, happy new year. Have a nice life. All the best. And she goes, oh, we're actually looking to hire somebody. Can you send me your tape? Clearly. Now the, the, <laughs> the light has been finally popped. I send my tape. I drive. This time we have to fly. Thankfully, it's been foots the bill. I fly this time. I meet Mark Rose, I meet the other bosses, we do a 10-minute audition. The audition is very quick, and I was prepared for any sort of mishap. I said, they're going to mess with me here. This is ESPN. At one point, the tape didn't fire, and they go, hey, sorry about that. I go, no, it's okay. I go, they're, they're just trying to, you know, keep me on edge here. But it couldn't have been smoother. It was very nice. I went home, and Mark Rose says to me, hey, listen, you got the job. I'm like, amazing. He goes, there's only one issue. I said, sure. He goes, the immigration can be a challenge at times from Canada to America, so we're going to sponsor you. There may be a bit of a, a wait here. I said, okay, well, when can I tell my boss that I'm leaving, that I'm going to Bristol, Connecticut, that I have made it? He goes, it might be a few months. And I'm like, you want me to sit on this for a few months? Because I don't know how long this is going to take. This may take a while. Thankfully, it took about 10 days, and off I was to Bristol, Connecticut, and I could not have been happier. I felt like I had struck gold. It's one of the great moments in my life when I got that call that I was going to ESPN. And so how did that feel after that? How was the place what you expected to be, and how was it not? Because I'm guessing our experiences are different here. You may have been at this point so grateful to get there that it was like you were walking into Disneyland, and I got there and pretty immediately was like, whoa, this place is a lot smaller than I imagined. What happened to the worldwide and worldwide leader in sports? Well, that's why I loved your interview with Skipper, because I didn't realize how uh, obstinate you were about joining ESPN. He's begging you. He's cajoling you. All right, Levitard, I'll build you your own studio in Miami. What's it going to take? Whereas I was running full throttle. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll work the 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. shift. I'll work for nothing. I'll work for peanuts. I can work in the cafeteria on the side. I love the experience. And I said, it's so great to be with like-minded people, talented people fun people. I, I just love the fact we're all from different places. You've got all these anchors in their early 30s. Some are from New York City. Some are from Chicago. Some are from Los Angeles. Everyone's kind of fighting together. And I thought there was a real element of healthy competition. Normally, if you say competition to someone, they recoil. They think that's a bad thing. I said, no, this can be a good thing. Again, it's like tennis. You're hitting the ball back and forth with someone else. If you're next to a good anchor, they're raising your game. If you're with an analyst that you can challenge, that's a positive thing. And I found that one thing about ESPN was if you're 
you're just kind of stuck in a rut, if you just went between the lines, went between the tackles, there probably wasn't much wiggle room, as you and I both found out. But I was fortunate enough that I was ambitious or just dumb enough to say, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? Like with radio, I just said, you know, I don't really have much of a radio background, but I'd like to do it. Hey, do you guys mind just putting me on the radio? I did an audition. I filled in for Gottlieb one day. All of a sudden, now I'm with Rosillo. Now I'm on Mike and Mike. People seem to be liking this. Again, all of it is just through ambition and hard work. It's that immigrant shit is what it is. You're just like, I don't care. I'll walk in every room. You mean every, they got microphones all over the place here and I can just talk into them and you'll let me talk into them. And, uh, and, and the bar is on this entertainment is they're taking calls. A hundred percent. Our second son was being born a year into Bristol, and I heard a couple anchors saying, if you go on radio, they'll pay you extra. And that immigrant thing you're speaking about, wait, extra money? I could always use a little bit of extra money. That's no problem at all. How much is the extra money? A hundred dollars an hour. One hundred dollars an hour to go on the radio? I can can absolutely do this. Mike and Mike, (laughs) that is four hundred dollars. And they're overpaying me by seventy-five dollars an hour. And also, also, and uh, truth be told... I would have done it for free just because they gave me a microphone. <laughs> People would laugh and they go, oh, my God, Mike, and Mike, you must be killing it. I said, they're paying me $400 and it's larceny. I'm stealing this money. I'm going there and blabbermouthing to the entire country and talking about movie reviews and trying to make Mike Golick laugh. And I'm the one who is in on the gag. I'm the one stealing the money. And it was great. And as you know, with radio, David Lloyd told me this early on. He said, TV, you'll probably make more money and it's easy. But radio, you can really show your stuff and kind of let your, uh, your feathers fly, so to speak. And, and you know that with podcasts even more so, you can really be a lot more unbridled. Well, this is what I'm really excited about because I'm promising the audience, and go ahead and tell them now, Adnan, so we can get the subscription base going now. Go ahead and tell people where it is that they can find you. Beyond Lebitard and Friends, we want you to subscribe and rate and review the network, and we want you to support the Dan Levitard Show with Stugatz and Stupidity, and we're going to have more and more podcasts coming your way, but specifically as we grow this brand together in a way that I'm really excited about because I believe the things you're about. Tell the people where it is that they can find you, how they can find you. Thanks so much, Dan. Cinephile is the name of the podcast, C-I-N-E-P-H-I-L-E. For those who are unaware, Cinephile means lover of film, which is something that I am. I am so grateful to be on the Levitard and Friends podcast. I did 78 episodes at ESPN. I did over 100 of the Cadence 13, but I really feel like this is going to be a perfect home for me because I know one thing about Dan is he really supports his friends, and you're a hugely loyal person. So I, I know that I will get a big bump. One thing about your army, they are very loyal. Some would say frighteningly so, but they are very loyal. So I know... Everyone listening, you support all things that Dan endorses. Please do support Cinephile, which will be on the Levitard and Show, uh, Levitard and Friends Podcast Network. And of course, I'm going to be on Dan's show, which is great news. I don't know how often I'll be, but I'll be on your show and not infiltrating. I'll actually have a guest pass, and I'll be welcome with a red carpet, and I'll still do my stuff on MLB Network and uh, NHL Network and DAZN, and uh, it's going to be a really wild ride. I, I hope we're going to do a lot more than just this, as you and I have talked about off air. Well, Adnan has a lot of range, as I mentioned. I don't believe people have seen it. So if you want to know about football, for example, he can explain to you what the hell the Patriots are doing this offseason, <laughs> explains it very well. If you want to know more about baseball, he is very much about the advanced numbers and the progressive side of the game and loves that part of the game as well. But we're going to spend a lot of time doing movies with him, and then we'll do sports 
on the radio show. But so you were on the list. ESPN is reported to have or reputed to have a list of single people who you can call at any time for anything. Were you the married person on that list? Like <laughs> at any time, any desperate holiday, any time, Verk can get a chance. Verk is going to scramble onto the set and do something. I wish you had come to the ESPN picnic because that would be the one time people could meet my lovely wife, Eamon, and all my gaggle of kids. And the first thing, every time they would meet my wife, they'd say, poor you. So you're the one. Your husband's just always racing out. Like there's a red phone. Oh, Mike Greenberg can't make it in. We'll call Virk. Oh, Van Pelt's not available. Call Virk. Oh, you know what? We have a spot here for some EPL coverage this Sunday morning. Call Virk. As you know, when you're used to always saying yes, Hopefully things will go in your favor. And I think that was always my belief. And yes, I was the married guy on call. Inevitably, the bosses would say, and they would tell me, we just know that you're going to say yes. It makes our life so much easier. We could go down the entire list, but you'll always say yes. And and more often than not, hopefully did a decent enough job. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I don't know that I've had a lot of times in my professional career when something happened to a colleague where I was more heartbroken from afar. But because I know a few things about you, one, that you're decent in the way Tim Kirkshin is decent, that you're a good man that people like who's principled about the right things and not a whole lot of people you're going to find in your life who don't like Adnan Virk. And so at the end, you end up getting uh, fired at ESPN in a way that was super jarring to me. And I hurt for you from afar because I probably did things that deserve to actually be fired. (laughs) Um, And I don't know the specifics of what happened with you, but I was heartbroken for you because it was the double thing of knowing, oh, man, that guy loves ESPN, first of all. And secondly, oh, this is going to hurt for him to have any kind of public shame when he's when he's a good person. Yeah, no, I appreciate saying that, Dan. I mean, it, it's as simple as I shared some information that I shouldn't have shared. And in my view, I wasn't acting in a pernicious manner. I wasn't trying to be destructive to the company. I was careless and definitely exercised poor judgment. But in my view, ESPN overreacted. And I, I just thought it was such a draconian decision. And I was heartened by not only your reaction, but many others. You know, as you said, it's a public shaming. This isn't a quiet thing we do. It's this guy's at ESPN. Now he's fired. This isn't suspended. No, no he's gone. He's never going to work there again. And like you said, he bleeds for the company. He loves the company. He's a great soldier. What could he have done that was such a great transgression? And as you said, I think when the story came out, or at least bits and pieces of it, people said, that's it? Like, really? Like, what Like what else did he do? <laughs> so at your point, I think that's the, the major point that a lot of people made, which was, hey, listen, people make mistakes. People normally get second chances. Hey, don't do that again. Be a little smarter next time. No problem. What was it that was so egregious that you felt the need to jettison this guy forever? And as you know, it was, a, it was a, a catastrophic situation, and it was very heartbreaking for me and my family. Four boys at the time, including a three-month-old baby. I mean, I went from being king of the world to, to feeling like I was destitute. And when you work at, at ESPN, it's a great badge of honor. It's a great symbol of pride. That's stripped away. And you're also in the middle of central Connecticut. Like, you realize you have to move right away. My kids are in school. What, what are we going to do? Uh, the logistics of this, it, it was a very overwhelming situation. But I, I'm so grateful to you. I remember everybody who reached out. I know the exact text you sent. <laughs> 
you texted me and said, hey, listen, I talked to Tim to ask how you were doing. I don't mean to be intrusive, but I'm thinking of you. I'm sending love your way. Uh, every single person that reached out, it meant so much to me, Dan, because I could tell their sincerity uh, was so genuine. And I think that was actually the biggest takeaway. Someone said to me, what did you learn from the experience? I said, I learned I had a lot more support than I realized. I, I learned that the people were rooting for the little guy, which is uh, a nice feeling when it's all said and done. How the hell did it escalate like that, though? And if you don't want to get into the details, I don't mean to sort of ruminate in this area. It doesn't much yeah, yeah. matter to me. I just I, I just remember that it didn't feel right to me. It didn't because ESPN doesn't very often fire people. That's And so I didn't understand how something so small had escalated so quickly. Yeah, my understanding of it was, because that's an excellent point you raised, like, why why is this such a big deal? We rarely fire people. If you look at the history of people who have been suspended, it's actually kind of a badge of honor, the number of people who have made the list. I would have been liked to have been on that list rather than fired. But my understanding is this. When it comes to information sharing, you know, so-called leaks, ESPN has had a poor track record in that department. And so when they actually found someone, hey, got him. Ferk did it. We are going to punish him, and this is going to be a lesson for everyone. You know, the, the one thing that kept coming back was, hey, they're trying to make an example out of you. And I said, but why me? Like, I'm, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. I'll do whatever you say. I mean, I'll be the, the – I already was a great employee in my view. I'll be an even better employee. I, I will tattletale on others. I will see anyone else who is stealing staplers or paper, and I will tell them they are wrong. They are offending Disney. I will put a stop on them. A citizen's arrest – but it wasn't the case. And I think part of it, too, we've talked a lot about relationships here, our relationship, your relationship with John Skipper. Jimmy Pitaro and I did not have much relationship. I think if John was there, it would have gone in a different direction. I think if Jimmy and I knew each other a little better, he knew what I stood for, my work, et cetera, I think he would have said, you know what, I'm going to talk to this guy. I'm going to give him a pass here. Let's figure this out. I think that may have been a part of it as well. And the end result, though, Adnan, obviously fortuitous for us. Again, thrilled to have Adnan Verk with us. Thrilled that you guys, I know that the people listening to this that have heard it already love you, now love you even more. We are thrilled to have you doing what you're doing. But I would say that you got out at the right time, Adnan, and yeah. you uh, ended up in a place that has allowed you more creative freedom, and I'm not sure in retrospect that it wasn't somehow a blessing. Maybe I've got it wrong because no, no. I didn't go through it. I didn't go through it. It had to be terribly painful, but yeah. I don't know if you'd want to do it again. But if, <laughs> if, if, I if I tell you that this would be the result, though, if I tell you that you would have gotten, I don't mean to Metal Arc Media, but just to more creative freedom and more comfort with yourself in front of the cameras because you are your most honest self now, Adnan. Yeah, 100%. Dan. I, I've definitely been able to show more of myself. And people who see me go, no, that, that really is you. You seem more authentic now. I think at ESPN, again, to your point, polished, smooth, able to do the job in a very serviceable manner. But this is really what I'm passionate about with all my different roles now. I, it's funny because people say, do you have regrets? And I say, well, I don't have any regrets because to your point, things have worked out so swimmingly. I wouldn't want to do this nine times out of 10 for fear that I would not be this lucky, that I would not come out the other end. And make no mistake, there was times that I said, what if I don't work again in the industry? What if I'm blackballed forever? What if I, I have no other skills? What am I going to go be a teacher? You hear people say this, I'm going to go be a teacher. Teach what? What am I going to do? I, I'm disgraced. I, my name is being smeared. I'm tarred and feathered. So I, you're right. When I look at how bleak things were then and how positive they are now, I'm just, I'm so incredibly lucky. I'm so grateful. You know, God has a plan for all of us and uh, I'm so lucky that it's worked out. But it was, uh, it was definitely harrowing at the time. I'm sure you've never been anything. Well, maybe you have been. I, I don't know. <laughs> you, you've had your own run-ins as well. Mine didn't feel so great either, but it brings us together. And the reason I can speak to you of uh, the blessing in it is because I know this is going to be the most fruitful creative time of 
of our lives. And I also know that there's nothing better than the shared laughter of these enterprises with people that you love. So we're very happy to have you, Adnan. I believe you're about to do that people are going to find in your passions what will be your best work. And you will feed off of that because you're very good at what you do there. And as I said, that podcast is criminally underrated because he talks very fast and it's a lot of information. And that's not to say we can't get some other voices in there like Billy to slow him down because it's really hard, Adnan. It's really hard, narcissistic ego to be like a rat-a-tat-tat voice without any interruption. And I, I wonder if some of our people made their way into your world, whether you might enjoy that even more. If a, if a Billy goes yeah. in and does the bullshit he did right here, where he came in and just urinated on everything and then fled the premises. Listen, we, as you and I know, there's too many gas bags and blowhards out there. So there is something to be said for someone who will willingly stop you and say, listen, I don't understand a word you're saying. You're talking too fast. I don't, I, could you just, you're nonsensical, you moron. I, I appreciate it. Hopefully Billy can be that guy. One thing I did want to ask you, because I felt like I, we've been focusing too much on myself. But I loved your four-part series you did with our boss, John Skipper. And what I really loved about it was you mentioned how your friendship felt stronger and deeper after John was gone with ESPN. And I thought it was very uh, revealing that John was so busy working all the time, he didn't have time for those friendships. In the midst of all that, what have you learned about John now? Because I'll tell you this, listening to that four-part series, I knew he was literate, but he used dotage, anachronistic, uh, mendacious. Like, it's, it's tough to use those words in a way which is very comfortable, and he's not, he's not being ostentatious about it. It's literally the way John is. He's just naturally articulate and passionate and funny. I mean, as I told you off-air, the stories he told about Deontay Wilder and David Stern, pound for pound, as funny anecdotes as you'll hear anywhere. Well, people around here will get to know all of the personalities. Adnan and John's going to be on the air more with us around here as more and more announcements get made, and you will see that this is becoming a bigger and bigger company, more and more fun. But he enjoys empowering storytellers. This is why it's also his dream job. Adnan, what we're noticing right now in the building of what we're doing is we're creating everybody's dream job, and it's his included. Now, he can make these giant deals. He was just at your $4 billion company making giant deals. But what he wants to do with the rest of his career is empower these passions that you're chasing. The kid who grew up where he grew up because he believes in my minorities who wants to get into the movies through sports like that's exactly what he wants to feed it's exactly what we want to be fertilizing around here so it's very exciting to have you aboard welcomed into our brace people are going to reject it they're going to say no i liked it better back before when he had to climb through sewage to get on but we're thrilled to have you here and thrilled to introduce you this way and thrilled to get started on what i believe adnan are going to be the best and most fun years of your career I can't wait for the line, though. Virk was better as a heel. Like, at some point, we're on the same team. We may have to think. In They're going to rip you. <laughs> They're going to rip you. They're going to hate you by the end of this. We're going to leave you in tatters. <laughs> as long as we know that's what's coming. A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that hasn't? The great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall... I I don't even go for the the regular 12-ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16-ounce cans. They usually come in a four-packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler. You put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, 
a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling, and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.